Is, uh, is Gideon Sunday. And Gideon Sunday is the day where we um, emphasize the ministry of the Gideons who are so faithful in distributing God's word all over the world, um, right here in Tift County, across the state, in prisons, wherever the door is open, they take God's word, believing that when God's word is, is spread, that it will not return void. And you never know if it's a day later or a month later or a year later, someone might pick up that copy of God's word and read it and their lives be transformed 
for eternity. Our Gideon speaker this morning is Richard Williamson. Richard is from Osceola, and uh, he's a retired administrator, high school principal, and assistant superintendent in the Irwin County School System for 35 years. He and his wife, Faith, have been married for 54 years. They have four children. And Richard is a member of the Big Creek Baptist Church and been a member of the Ben Hill Irwin Gideon Camp for 14 years and has been an officer in that camp uh, each of those years. So help me welcome Richard Williamson, who's going to come and tell us a little bit about the work of the Gideons. Thank you, Richard. And then as, as our custom at the conclusion, not only will we be having uh, a vote on some things, but we'll also have offering plates. And uh, if you have a donation you want to contribute to the ministry of the Gideons, uh, you can do so at that time. So, Richard, tell us about your work. Carrie Christie says, I stole that from a hotel room. You need to know Carrie. She was an atheist. She was 18 years old, headed off to college, and she got left in a hotel room, and she stole it, she said. The end of the story is because she stole that hotel Bible, 19 members of her family came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. She said, when I get to heaven, I want to thank those who placed the Bible. I want to thank the person who gave the money to buy the Bible. I thank the Lord Jesus Christ that someone put that Bible in a hotel room. Jerry Sweet from Moultrie, Georgia, said, I found that in a zippy mark. How did the Bible get in a zippy mark? You see, we claim God's word and his promises from Isaiah 55, 11, which says this, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth, it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and the purpose whereunto I send it. Please, mister, give me a Bible. Please, mister. Give me a Bible. I shall never forget the silhouette of this young Muslim girl as she snuck down the corridors in a country where having a Bible could mean execution. But she wanted a Bible. And thank goodness someone had purchased a Bible. Someone was there and someone gave her a Bible. I carry in my testament here in my Bible a letter from a prisoner now I'm not going to take the time to read it all but his name I'm going to give you his name his name is Talon and Talon said that's hard to find a copy of the Bible in this prison I can't get one in Spanish I can't get one in English he said now I decided to write somebody that maybe can do something about it and I, I'm asking you how you could do something about it he said I've decided that uh, maybe a potential source of getting the Bible would be the Gideons International so Gideon's International contacted the Osceola uh, Ben Hill local camp and said, see what you can do for Galen, Talon. In the process, we've been praying and praying that God would open the doors and let us in to the prison so we could do some work with the prisoners. I got to meet Talon, but here's what he said at the end. Please send Bibles or disperse them here somehow. Many people go without a Bible here. You see... I honestly believe when we give out a copy of God's Word that someone's about to get saved. And it matters not if it happens in a zippy store where you would wonder of all places. Here's some other voices from the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I can't find a Bible. I found this Bible. Where'd you get it? I was given. You brought me one? Where'd it come from? Will you be back? There weren't enough. Can I have one for my friend, for my sister? Do you have one in my language? 
please, a red one, a blue one. Could you read it to me? I can't read. Wished I had a Bible. I don't have any glasses. You see, God's Word depends on faithful, pres faithful people, past, present, and future, to provide salvation for man. The Giddings International is a comprehensive group of businessmen who are evangelical members of a local church who make it their sole purpose to go and spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, we go into 196 countries. We publish it in 95 languages. And in the United States and in the world, we disperse 80 million copies. 10 million are dispersed in the United States alone. God called us to tell others, to spread the good news. His word, Jesus said, ye are my witnesses. And how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them that bring God, God good tidings and publish peace and bring good tidings of good that publishes salvation. My God reigneth. He said, ye shall receive power and ye shall go into, you know this, Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I thank Carrie Christie's testimony, and if you would ever see her today, she's a beautiful lady. She's a lawyer. She has spoken internationally about her stolen Bible. Would you like to place one of these in a hotel room? You could do so for $5. There's a chance that 2,300 people would pass by. If I had time to share the testimonies with you that have come to Gideon's International from the presence of a Bible in a hotel room, you would absolutely be amazed. Dr. Carl Bates, former president of the Southern Baptist Association, claims he found salvation because there was a Bible in a hotel room. How many of you wouldn't want to purchase one of these and place it in the hands of a fifth grader? You could do that for a dollar and thirty cents. We're fortunate in Tifton, Irwin. We can put them in the hands of fifth graders. We're one of the very few places in the United States where you can do that. You know, I'm going to introduce you to another thing now so you can help spread the word. There's a new ministry that's begun in the Gideon's organization called the Life Book. If the students in the school want to start a program orient oriented by students, their request of any pastor, the pastor can call Gideon's International, and they'll supply life books. And it is absolutely amazing what's happening across this country because it's student-oriented, student-led, and student-directed. God's at work in the ministry. I pray today that you will see the vision that's possible by providing a scripture for someone. Now, you may think I'll spend a dollar and 30 cents, and it may end up in the hands of a fifth-grade student. It may end up in the zippy mark. That's a testimony itself. His name, he's a pastor now in Worth County. He went there looking for a cup of coffee, and the Holy Spirit directed him to a copy of God's Word. George Cortez was real angry with his family. He made him go down the Mississippi River, and when he was looking in the Mississippi River, he saw something red floating. He ordered his sons to dig that out. What is that? He dug it out. It was this. He took it home. He dried it out. He was a wretched man, but God and his spirit spoke to George. And he accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. Then his wife and his children did too. We claim the promises of God's word. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. They shall not return unto me void, but they'll accomplish that which I please. And the purpose whereunto I sent it. Leave a copy of God's word. 
and God and his Holy Spirit can change the soul of man. Thank you. As I mentioned, while the band is reassembling, um, there will be an offering at the conclusion of the service. Uh, offering plates will be there at the exits. If you want to put anything in that, if you didn't come prepared to do so today, you can do so this coming week. But, you know, you get opportunities on television. People call, and there are all these good causes. And I have to wonder when I hear that how much of the money I contribute actually goes to the cause that they are advertising. 100% of what you give to the Gideons today goes to buy Bibles. The men uh, donate money to cover any overhead that they might have, but, but what you contribute buys Bibles. I can guarantee you that. So it's a wonderful ministry, and we want to emphasize that here this morning. Stand with us.
Gracious God, you are just so faithful, and I'd like to say I apologize when I'm not as faithful back to you. I, I let a lot of the things that come my way distract me, uh, whether it be financially or time or um, just the things that I should do, and I, and I need to start taking ownership of what Nehemiah said and, and say I, I'm doing a great project here, and I cannot come down. Same thing with my money. I, I, I take my money sometimes and I put it in places it shouldn't, God. And I ask this morning that you take these gifts that we bring to you and that you'll continue to profit them and, and make them multiply as you always do. Because it's not mine, it's yours already, already, Lord. Um, God, please go with us this morning and, and be with one in this message. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. 
Louise Woodham, and I have chaired the search committee for us to have uh, our church a children's minister. And my committee included, and I'll read to you, William Bowen, Tracy Dix, April Dukes, Nathan Johnson, Jason Morris, Craig Matthews, Catherine Merriman, Michelle Reddick, and of course Wayne Rowe is our ex officio officer. Uh, I would like to tell you a little bit and introduce you to Marsha Schroeder.
She um, has a bachelor degree in music from Southern Illinois University, uh, made the dean's list for four years. Uh, she is Master of Arts in Christian Education with a concentration in children's ministry from the Southwestern Baptist Seminary, Theological Seminary. She has done an internship at Calvary Baptist Church in her hometown of Alton, Illinois, and she also has been at Prestonwood Baptist Church in uh, Plano, Texas. She came very, very highly recommended from both places. Um, her goals is that every facet of her ministry would be to lead children and their parents to discover the, what the life-changing could mean when you have Jesus Christ in your life. Uh, she also has a very great passion for the uh, to discipleship children and to make sure that they know about our Lord. It was a unanimous decision after much prayer, much open doors, much closed doors. Um, we have really diligently worked on this, and I would like now to present to you at this time Marsha Schroeder. Thank you, Ms. Louise. Um, so I'm just going to give a testimony and then give you all a little bit about my heart for children's ministry, how um, that led, how my life led to this path. Um, I grew up in church. I was a church kid. Um, I was, um, my mom took me to church ever since I was, um, before I was born, actually. And uh, so um, I knew about Jesus. I knew, you know, all the hymns and everything. And, and um, finally, um, one day it clicked when I was seven years old, you know, I, I started to, to finally realize, you know, this stuff is, this stuff is about me, you know, not just everybody is a sinner, Marsha is a sinner, you know, and I, and Christ didn't just die for everybody, Christ died for Marsha, and so, um, I started asking my mom a lot of questions, and, um, she, she took me to the pastor, and she was like, will you talk to, we talked to Marsha, and, and it was that day when I was seven years old that, um, Jesus Christ became my Savior and Lord, and, um, and I knew from that instant that I was saved and, and that it was good. I went to school the next day, and I started telling my friends about Christ and um, continued serving in the church um, throughout youth group and everything. I, I was typically a Sunday morning only, and then once I hit the youth group, I became um, very committed to the church and my family and I, and I started serving in different ministries of the church, music ministry, first of all, because um, that was the obvious choice because I was a violinist and a uh, percussionist. And then after that, um, I continued uh, going to the same church, and um, I went to college, and that's when I really started getting serious about my faith. That's when I really started realizing that this isn't just, you know, something, a free ticket to heaven. This isn't just a Sunday morning, Wednesday thing. This is my life. This is what I've committed to. And so um, I went to college very close to home. I got to continue going to my home church, and I, um, I was doing music, and I was also active in church. And Music wasn't going so hot for me. Um, things started going downward, and um, I continued to push forward, but I started, I, I started realizing that I, I would rather be at church than school, um, which for somebody who was on the dean's list, somebody who was very academically inclined, that was a, that was a strange feeling for me. And so um, the more I was at church, the more I realized, the more I felt the call to ministry. And First, I ran because I was like, I don't want to commit to that, Lord. That's, that's a large commitment of my life. And um, 
through a number of different circumstances, a number of different people speaking into my life, and God getting me to the point where I loved him more than I loved music, I said, okay, Lord, I will do whatever you want me to do. And he said, okay, you're going to go into ministry. And so I was like, all right, let's, let's do this. Well, at that point, I had no clue what type of ministry I was headed in. Um, at that moment, I was serving in music in college, and so I continued doing that. And my pastor back home said, um, begin to plug into every ministry of the church um, and see what... Um, see what your heart is at. And so that's what I did, and I, I dove into just different facets of ministry. And, well, the children's minister saw me, and she was like, hey, this girl's starting to serve a lot more. I should, I should approach her, and I should ask her because she's, she's willing to serve. And so she come, came up to me and asked me, and I said, um, she asked me to serve in VBS, first of all. And I said, oh, no, I can't do that. I'm going to Florida that week. Um, my, my friend and I had a vacation plan. And so I got to Florida um, knowing that I was going against the Lord and, and knowing that I should serve in children's ministry. And if you can imagine it possible, an Illinoisan being miserable on the beaches of Florida, that is what I was. Um, and so I would read scripture, and, and it would just be apparent to me that I needed to plug into the children's ministry. And so I came back home, and um, I said, I'm willing to serve wherever. I served one Sunday in Sunday school, and I absolutely fell in love with kids' ministry. I pulled out of um, all my ministry except for music and put all my t attention in kids' ministry. And I, I was serving in children's worship and Sunday school and our Wednesday night stuff and any fellowship that I could. And that's all that I could, that's all I wanted to do, you know. I wanted to be at church serving kids and the relationships that I was forming with them um, were very important to me. The relationships I was forming with their parents were very important to me. That led into me doing um, three internships in my home church um, through the summers while I was in seminary. Um, that led into me serving at Prestonwood this past summer. And I've just learned from serving the times that I have in children's ministry that, you know, God has put the church um, on the earth for a purpose, but God has put parents in the lives of their kids for a purpose. And if you look at Deuteronomy 6, the parents are the biblical main disciples of their children. And so the church needs to come alongside of that and be the secondary supplement to educate and equip parents to to fulfill their biblical role and then also to, you know, pour into the, to the children as well and to um, help further their walk with Christ. So, you know, children's ministry for me is, is a lot of fun and I enjoy having fun and I enjoy, you know, making children's ministry a good time, but it's also about using um, different ministry opportunities to invest in children and further their discipleship with Christ. You know, a lot of my generation, you know, just personally for me, I went on a mission trip to Panama with about 17 people my age when I was in college, and only three of us are active in church now, and that really breaks my heart, and I just really, you know, I want to, in the ministry that God allows me to have, I want to be able to root the children in the word of God, root them in a committed walk with the Lord so that when they turn 18, it isn't a run from the church, but it's a commit more to the church. And that's just a little piece of me and a little glimpse of my heart. Thank you all for allowing me to be here this morning with you. Thank you so much, Marsha. The only negative thing I can say about Marsha is being from Illinois, she is a diehard St. Louis Cardinal fan. And I don't think there's any converting her from that. And they always seem to get in the way of the Braves at playoff time. We'll see. <laughs> because it's Gideon Sunday and, and so many things going on, I want to talk to you about the Bible today and about the authority that the Bible holds in our lives. And my passage is from 
the familiar passage from 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, and you probably know it. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Let's bow together. Father, you've given us the Bible. And the problem, as so many have said, is not what we don't understand about it. It's what we do understand but don't do. It's what we disobey. It's, it's, it's that we don't take advantage of what you've provided us to take care of us, to help us, to teach us, to guide us into the way everlasting. So help us respect this word that you've entrusted to us and benefit from it daily, hourly, minute by minute, Lord. What a great gift. Help us to use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I have up here three instruction books. One is instruction on how to take apart a pellet gun. My pellet gun's not working right now, and I'm going to have to disassemble it and uh, fix some valves and uh, seals on it and put it back together. The other is the owner's manual from my car. And the third is the Bible. I need these instructions because I am what you would call mechanically challenged. I can read these instructions a half a dozen times and still manage to find a way to do something backwards. It's a gift. Um, I need this instruction manual on my car because it has a lot of bells and whistles on it, and I didn't know how to change the clock when daylight savings time started. And so I, I'm actually the kind that actually gets an instruction manual out and read it. And this Bible... Incidentally, people have said the Bible, B-I-B-L-E, stands for basic instructions before leaving earth. The Bible is the Christian's authority and the Christian's instruction booklet. But why? We, we believe that the, the manual for the car is authoritative for the car. The instructions for taking apart a pellet gun are authoritative for it. Why do we believe that the Bible is authoritative as God's word as a way of life and for teaching us and for guiding us and instructing us. And I want to talk about that this morning, reasons why the Bible is authoritative. The first thing is because of what the Bible says about itself. Now, I realize some people argue, well, that's just circular reasoning. You're just using the Bible to say that it is authoritative. But this is a starting place. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God. So I got out my Greek Bible and looked up the word inspired. It's the word theonoustos, and it means God breathed. Theo is God. Noustos is spirit, wind, air. God breathed into Scripture as authors were penning the words. God breathed himself into the words itself. So that what we have here is God breathed words of authority and power. That's what the Bible says about itself. But not only does the Bible say that, but what does Jesus say about the Bible? Matthew 5:18, Jesus is in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, "I tell you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one iota, not one dot from the law will pass away until all is accomplished." So Jesus teaches that all this in the law, all this in the scripture will come to pass. And not only does he say that, but he lives it. 
The perfect example is in uh, the temptations in Matthew chapter 4. You know, Jesus is baptized. He begins his public ministry. He goes out into the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And then at, at the end of that, Satan comes to him to try to tempt him. Three times Satan comes to him and, and says, you know, three different areas. Are you hungry? Command these stones to become loaves. And then he says, throw yourself down from this mountain and the angels will take you up. And then he says, if you worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms. And how does Jesus respond to Satan every time? Do you remember in Matthew 4? He quotes scripture. That's exactly right. Why does Jesus do that? Because he knows that scripture is God's word. It's authoritative. And, and he uses it to combat Satan. Now, if Jesus, who's the son of God, used scripture to combat Satan, how much more so do you and I need the Bible? When Satan comes to us to tempt us, to lead us astray, to fool us, to deceive us, where, what is your source of truth? What is, your, what is your foundation upon which you can live and build your life and, and live accordingly? It's God's word. It's the one thing that will never fool you, nor deceive you, nor disappoint you. And if you base your life on the foundation of God's word, like Jesus did, then you'll be safe and secure in God's arms. If Jesus, who is the revelation of God, not only taught it, but lived that this word is authoritative, then we need, how much more so do we, as his followers? Thirdly, I want to point out how many times the prophecies, if you want to know why I think this word is authoritative, how many times prophecies in the Old Testament are actually fulfilled? Every one of them is fulfilled. One writer counted 61 specific prophecies about the Messiah that were fulfilled in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. If you look in the Old Testament, you'll find that the place where Jesus was going to be born was prophesied, that it was going to be a virgin birth, that he was going to live a sinless life, that he was going to die between thieves, that he was going to be raised from the dead. All those things were prophesied in the Old Testament. And so when you see them fulfilled in the New Testament, you think, oh yeah, I remember that now. It was, it was foretold that that would happen, and that happens over and over again in God's authoritative word. There's is, is an, one of my favorite examples about prophecy fulfilled is Ezekiel 26. In Ezekiel 26, I can't read the whole chapter, but if you look at that chapter, it tells the story of a city named Tyre that... Uh, brought harm to Israel. And as a result, a prophecy was brought against Tyre that it would be utterly destroyed, that it would be wiped out, that its inhabitants would vanquish, and that all of it would be cast into the sea and fishermen would clean their nets on the rocks that remained. Well, it so happened that a few hundred years later, Alexander the Great was marching through Tyre. He laid siege to the city, and when he conquered it, he wiped it out. And he scraped all the debris off and created a causeway in the ocean. All the inhabitants left. Um, fishermen now wash their nets on the rocks that remain entire, and it is a city that has never been rebuilt. So if you look back at the prophecies concerning Tyre in Ezekiel 26, every single detail that was prophesied came to pass a couple hundred years later, just fulfilling the prophecy of the Old Testament. Another reason why I think the Bible is authoritative is because it has survived 
attack after attack. There has not been a generation where someone has not tried to raise up some kind of attra- uh, attack against the Bible and destroy it. Go back to the 4th century and there was a, a Roman uh, leader named Diocletian whose, whose main effort in his rule was to collect as many Bibles as he could and destroy them. And of course what it did was only cause it to be circulated even more widely. You come up to uh, the 18th century, the age, age of reason, and you have uh, a philosopher named Voltaire who said that the Bible was foolishness, and all it did was just make more people want to read it. Then you come up to Thomas Paine in our colonial America, and he too tried to write off the Bible as being irreverent or irrelevant and inconsequential, and it only made more people read it and study it. All these efforts to destroy the Bible remind me of the Irishman who built a wall two feet high and three feet wide. Two feet high and three feet wide. And somebody said, why in the world did you build a wall one foot wider than you did tall? And he said, because if anybody tries to knock it over, it'll be taller than it was to start with. And that's what it is with the Bible. Anybody that tries to do it harm, anybody that tries to destroy it, only make it stronger. Only verify that it is what it says it is. Another detail about the Bible that I want to talk about is its historical accuracy. There are a lot of of specific details, places, dates, specific things that are mentioned in the Bible. And a lot of folks thought, well, that's not true. You know, there can't be a place like that. Or or that detail is, is inaccurate. Every detail that's been mentioned in the Bible, archaeologists have discovered as being historically accurate to the minutest detail. A lot of people thought Abraham was a mythological man. In the Old Testament, we read about Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees. We read about that a lot in the Old Testament. Everybody thought Abraham was mythological and Ur was an imaginary city. Guess what? Archaeologists have discovered a city on the location where Ur used to exist, and they have actually found columns where the name Abraham is inscribed in the columns. It's amazing. Details that people once passed off as being impossible, archaeologists have proven, actually exist. There is, in John 5, the story of the man who was born lame and lay beside the pool at Bethesda. You remember, and it stirred the waters, an angel, and they tried to get into the water and be healed. And that specific pool, it has a detail. It had five porticos, five door openings around it. Well, people said there is no such pool. There's no such location. There's, there's no area that has five porticos. Guess what? In the 1960s, archaeologists actually discovered a pool at the exact, I think it was the Sheep's Gate, the, the gate called Sheep, outside the Temple Mount, and it had a pool and it had five porticos around it, exactly as described in John 5. I never will forget to this day the trip that my family went to, to uh, the land of Paul's travels. And we were in Corinth. And uh, my professor said, Wayne, follow me. And we went underneath a fence and down a grassy hill. I've told you all about this before. And in the ground, there was a, they have mosaics out in, uh, just out in the open in Corinth. There's so many ancient sites that their antiquities department can't protect. I can't believe they don't have some kind of ceiling or roof or protection over these historic sites that are 2,000, 3,000 years old. But he pointed down to a a mosaic in the grass. It was almost covered up by grass and weeds. But in the Greek it says, 
city treasurer, Erastus. He said, does that, does that ring a bell? I said, not at all. He said, read Romans 16. Chapter 20, uh, Romans 16, verse 23. Gaius, who was host to me, this is Paul writing from Corinth to Rome. Gaius, who was host to me, and the whole church greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cortus greet you. Just a passing reference to a man named Rastus, who in Corinth was a city treasurer. And I, with my own two eyes, I saw a mosaic on the ground that had Erastus, city treasurer, from 2,000 years ago. I mean, the hair stood up on the back of my neck. I saw with my own eyes a specific reference to a man's name that is mentioned in the New Testament. Every detail. I've come to believe that if there's a detail that we think is historically inaccurate, the reason is because we just haven't discovered the right archaeological site yet. And one day we will. And every detail will be borne out as being true and accurate from the Bible. The last thing I want to give you for the authority of the Bible is just its impact on mankind. I have been with families at the funeral home. And there's nothing like Psalm 23 that brings comfort. I've been with folks in the hospital. And there's nothing like the Bible that brings encouragement and hope. I've been with folks who are lonely, people who are struggling, people who have problems. And over and over again, I have found the Bible to speak in miraculous, relevant, timely ways to people in every generation, every kind of problem. It gives wisdom, it gives instruction, it gives guidance, it gives God's truth. Over and over again, it is, it is just miraculous. I don't know what the word is to describe what it is when I see the Bible, God's word, speak to people in the midst of their need at the very point that they require. We have this book, and and more so than instructions on how to disassemble a pellet gun or how to set a clock on a car, this provides you with instructions for life. Our challenge is to study it, to read it, and not just read it, but apply it and live it, and find over and over again how it meets our needs at the very base of foundation of who we are. And God knew that. And that's why he gave it to us. And that's, that's why the Gideons are, are working to distribute it. And that's why our challenge is not just to, to, to bring it to church on Sunday and leave it in the dashboard of the car the rest of the week, but take it out and study it and read it <clears throat> and apply it to our lives day after day. A story is told about a man who was walking in the desert, and he heard a voice speaking to him, and it said, pick up some pebbles and put them in your pocket, and tomorrow you will be both happy and sad. And so the man did as the voice said. He picked up some pebbles and put them in his pocket. The voice said, tomorrow you'll be both happy and sad. The next day, he pulled those pebbles out, and they were valuable jewels. And he was happy that those pebbles had become jewels, but he was sad that he hadn't put more in his pocket. That's the way it is with the Bible. We'll be happy with that part of God's word 
we have hidden in our heart, we'll be sad that we haven't done more. This is authority, God's authority, Scripture, for living, for serving, for loving, and for believing in Him. Let's bow together. Father, as we come now to a time of decision, we've heard from the work of the Gideons. We've heard how you've worked in a young lady's heart to love and serve children. And we have before us, by your own authority, the written word that reveals your holiness to us, mere mortal humans. And to the extent that we take this precious word and hide it in our heart, it will be like jewels that we will treasure the rest of our lives. Because there'll be dark days when we are in the funeral home or in the hospital or at home alone and lonely. And over and over again, we'll return to that scripture we learned and have studied and have hidden in our heart. And it will bring whatever we need that will more than provide. So Father, teach us not just to carry this Bible around as a an act of adornment but help us hide it in our heart and try to live it by your grace and for your glory in Jesus name Amen we are going to sing an invitational hymn to give you the opportunity to respond just as I am I'll be here at the front to receive you if if Jesus has been working in your heart you need to share that publicly you come if you'd like to join this church if you need to rededicate your life